0: These boxes look pretty good, don't they? I am so thankful for those of you who have participated in this, the lives that will be impacted. We just need to pray as they go, don't we? Bow with me. Father, we come to you. We pray that your grace and your truth would go with these boxes. We pray that your grace and truth would come with us now as we look at your word. Use it in our lives, Father. Uh, I pray we would hear what we need to hear. We would apply what we need to apply. That would be changed by what takes place right now in your word. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This excerpt comes from a book entitled You Are What You Love. The author says every household has an unspoken vibe. The content background noise generated by our routines and rhythms. The background noise is a a kind of imaginative wallpaper that influences how we imagine the world. And it can either be a melody that reinforces God's wishes for his creation, or it can often unintentionally be a background tune that is dissident with the Lord's song we need to tune our homes and thus our hearts to sing his grace. You could have Bible inputs every day and yet still have a household whose frantic rhythms are humming along with the, the consumerist myth of production and consumption. You might have Bible verses on the wall of every room and yet the unspoken rituals reinforce self-centeredness rather than sacrifice. Each of us should assess the routines our, whole, our household takes for granted. Precisely because those are the routines we don't usually think about and hence whose formative power we don't recognize. We think of them as things we do and might not recognize that they're doing something to us. That's quite a statement, isn't it? What vibes set the tone for your life? What uh, unseen, unspoken, unnoticed vibes? set the path of your life. Are they good vibes, healthy vibes, or are they unhealthy ones? And you don't even know it. Is it a vibe walking in the light of God's truth or something, something tuned to the darkness of this world? If you heard this morning's text, John is writing to people who may not have been living in the truth. They're religious, but uh, not living in the light of the truth. They they have a, a background vibe singing something other than the truth of God. Yes, they're religious, they're in church, chances are they are believers, but they're not living as they ought to be living. And did you notice where John got this message? Right off the top, from the Lord Jesus' own lips. These are something he has construed. This is the message that Jesus taught. That's an important notation. You and I in Christ ought to be living in the light of God's truth. But evidently these church people were not. And guess what? This may also be true of us. Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. We've heard it from Jesus Christ and we proclaim it to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I hope you catch the power of these words, the the importance of these words, the, the, the relevance of what John is saying. These people were living lives inconsistent with their faith. They were having a problem, as John says, walking in the light. These were people whose walk and talk did not match. By the way, when we get saved, we don't check our egos at the door. Our, our, our self-driven lives have a ten- tendency to follow us right into salvation. Listen to what Paul says, Romans chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. We don't check our egos at the door. They follow us right in. Our our worldly lives follow us right in. Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, and then down in. Uh, chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Yes, it's all too common for self-driven lives to follow us right into salvation. Believers with, with the self-demanding lives. Uh, Ego ruling. Pride setting the stage for what they do and who they are. Believers who think of themselves as a cut above everybody else, people who know more than everybody else, people who demand everything their way. Psychologists call this the the Lake Woebegone effect after Garrison Keillor's book, uh, uh, Fictional Minnesota Town. You know, where all the children are above average, That's what he wrote in that book. All the children were above average. Psychologists refer to this as the state of illusionary superiority, where we see ourselves as better than everybody else. Researchers questioned a a million high school students about how well they got along with their peers. Um, None of the students rated themselves below average. As a matter of fact, 60% believed they were in the, the, the top 10% and 25% of them rated themselves in the top 1%. Now, you think, oh, well, these are high school students, they're young, they're immature. What about university professors? <laughs> Certainly they would be more insightful, wouldn't you think? Uh, but guess what only 2% rated themselves below average and listen to this 25% rated themselves as truly exceptional Christian psychologist Mark McMinn contends that the the lake be gone effect reveals our pride he writes one of the clearest conclusions of social social science research is that we are proud. We assume assume the worst in others while assuming the best in ourselves. This is what John is talking about here. We think ourselves better than we ought to think. John brings it to a head in verse 8 there. If we say we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This ought not to be true of those in Christ. It it is, but it ought not to be. We've been brought from the darkness into the light. And in the light, we ought to see ourselves clearly. His truth ought to humble us as we realize who and what we are. But the tragic fact is so often we don't realize it. It's not the, the vibe that drives our life, the, the, the lives are uh, the undergirding melody, the background noise that drives our life. so again, I ask you, what is the vibe of your life, the background music that 's setting the tone for who you are and what you do the, the direction you take in life, where you find happiness and fulfillment these are the implications of this passage there are those who profess christ but who still live in darkness the clear implications of this passage people who miss out on the vital blessing that a relationship with the lord jesus christ ought to bring that he wants it to bring that salvation was designed to give us One of the words that stands out in this passage comes in verse 6. I like it in the NIV. The NIV says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. The ESV says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Yes, our walk and our talk can be at odds. Even those of us in Christ, such a life may feel good, it may feel natural. It certainly is more comfortable for us because it's where we have lived our whole lives. Merely religious play-acting with no reality behind it. And blinded by the lie, we don't even realize it. Nathaniel Hawthorne had it down pat, he said, No one can for any considerable time, wear one face to himself and, and another to the multitude, without finally getting bewildered as to which one is true. There is a vibe, a background music to our lives, and usually we are blind to it. We don't even see it. We don't even know it's there. Yes, we believe the lies as if they are true. Only when we come into the light, the light of God's truth, do we finally begin to realize who we are. You see, grace is the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is ego driven, grace is is humility driven. Hypocrisy is ego driven, grace is humility driven. Ego heads us down the wrong direction. Grace heads us down the the right path. The one encases us in a blinding darkness. The other illuminates our paths with the truth of God. This is why John says some of the things he does in the the course of this letter. He, he, He hopes to get us headed down the right path. The well-lit path of God's grace and his truth. The path that salvation was designed to put us on in the first place. Verses uh, 3 through 6 of chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him... But does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of god is perfected by this may we know that we are in him whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same walk in the same way in which he walked This isn't easy stuff, folks. This is this is heavy stuff. This is this is hard stuff. But evidently John thought we needed to hear. It. Evidently Jesus thought we needed to hear cuz this originally came from his lips. Grace points us down the well-lit path of obedience. Now, we don't have to go there. Believers don't have to to follow the light of God's truth. No, you can do as you choose in defiance. Of what you know to be the Lord's truth but mind you it's dark it's empty it's devoid of God's blessing there is no fellowship with him there is no security there is no reassurance you're out there alone on your own in a self-absorbed void yes this is a this is a heavy message It, it is not a simple message but it's a message that has Life-determining implications. When I opened this uh, series last time, we talked about an every man kind of faith. But John says this isn't the kind of faith that Jesus taught. It's not the kind of faith that he died to give us. And here John digs down into what he's talking about. How it comes into our lives our faith is not an easy believism faith it has expectations life transforming expectations life changing expectations we are to walk in the light as he is in the light not in the darkness like the rest of the world now mind you this doesn't mean believers are sinless or perfect in fact if you follow what John says here that's the implications of what he's talking about even those who walk in the light sin. None of us are perfect. I know believers who think they are, but guess what? We all sin. Every one of us. Me, Matt, Paul. Should I start down the front row? (laughs) But there's a conflict here ego can't admit to being wrong pride never fouls up never never needs correction it's always above average but the fact is we're all sinners and without this foundational understanding salvation doesn't happen and we don't live in the power of salvation there there's no place for grace to stand no place for for grace to take root in our lives And without this foundational realization, believers don't seek to walk in the truth of God's light. The uh, author of the, the great old standard hymn, Amazing Grace, John Newton, toward the end of his life, he said, although my memory is failing, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. If you're walking in the light, you do some humbly. Why? Because you know your own heart. You know your own propensity, your own potentiality, your own preference for sin. Herein, though, lies the difference between a life lived in the light of God's truth and a life lived in the darkness. Believers sin. But it is not what determines where believers are going and why. On an example, what about King David? Uh, David's problem didn't start when he was up on his roof and saw the beauty Bathsheba bathing. That's not where the problem started. That may have been where it manifested itself, but that's not where it started. You see, David was a sinner, just like you and me. a man after God's own heart, but a sinner. Just like you and me, he wrestled with problems just like you and me. And did you know that when David sinned with Bathsheba, after he confessed it, that it took him two years to get past the sin? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? It wouldn't you know we like to think, well, bam, I've confessed it, it's over. We just go on with life. No, it took him two years to work through the problem. Sin had affected his life prior, and then at least for two years after he he finally repented. Two years to get past. But David did work through it, and that's the point. That's the difference. To put it in the context of John's statement, he got back into the light, and he started moving once again in a holy life. This brings us to the most important point in this message. When we sin, and we all will, and more often than we would like to admit, God has given us a remedy. God has given us a remedy for our sin. Verse 9. Begin back at verse 8. If we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us the active word here is confess let me give you a uh, workable definition uh, of confession why because Our definition is usually too simplistic yes it means to admit the wrong but more than that it means to feel the same way about your sin as God feels confession means to change your mind so you feel the same way as God does about your sin it includes brokenness it demands humility and yes shame it knows it is wrong and it realizes its need to get back to the right back into to the light do you feel the same way as god does about your sin i don't know about you but i have a habit of rationalizing it it's it's my sin it's my life I ought to be able to do as I please? Yeah, it's a sin. <laughs> realize that, but hey, chill. Don't make a big deal out of it. Really? Do you realize how dark your sin is? How destructive it is? How disabling it is? Confession, as biblically understood, is as revolted by your sin st- your sin as God is. It seeks to crawl out of the darkness and into the light of God's presence. By the way, I hope you realize that the difference between the light and the darkness is God's presence. That's the difference. When you're in the darkness, God, because he's omnipresent, is there, but not like he is in the light. This is why the Lord can forgive us, and this is how we can move on in our lives everything is predicated on change what is there is wrong and repentance is determined to make it right not just to seek forgiveness but it desires to make it right i don't know where i got this uh, i i i should have been better at noting where i i got things when i stored them away Uh, It comes from a man named uh, Bill White, but it's a remarkable story. Bill White says, I recently took a 45-minute drive in an old beat-up van with a a guy I barely know. And along the way, we ended ended up talking about Jesus and whether this man would give his life to Christ. His response to me laid out humanity's resistance to the gospel with striking clarity. He said, my biggest problem is pride. I, I can't humble myself. And you know the reason I can't give up my pride? And he leaned into the steering wheel for effect because it's brought me so far. I couldn't believe my ears. I knew that his pride had brought him nothing but pain. It was all he had held on to while growing up in the gangs, while His father died of a drug overdose, and his mom was in the Mafia. I knew that this man beat his wife regularly, that he was unemployed, that he had just gotten out of prison. I found out a week later, he was on his way back to prison. Yet despite all our differences, I couldn't help but notice that in some ways, this guy and I are similar. I struggle to lay down my pride because it has brought me so far, or so I think. What it's really brought both him and me, and you no doubt, is pain, isolation, and ruined relationships. Takes us right back to the Lake Wobegon effect, doesn't it? We don't need help. We're, we're above average without it. In fact, we're, we're doing great without it. Pride tells us so. And yes, realistic it, realistically it applies to you and me too. The Lord wants us to experience what it means to have true fellowship with Him. Uh, This is John's thesis for writing, by the way. What it means to have true fellowship. True fellowship with our God and true fellowship with each other. We might have true fellowship with the Lord and true fellowship with each other. Believer confession brings you into the light of God's truth in a life-changing way. A way that allows him to to breathe his blessings into your life. C.S. Lewis always just lays me out flat. I don't know how he can say what he does with the, the precision and with the piercingness that he does. But C.S. Lewis just plays me out. Every time, says Lewis, you make a choice. You're turning the central part of you, the part that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all lifelong, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or into that which is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at this moment is progressing to one state or the other. We have a choice, you and I don't. A choice to walk in the truth or in the darkness when you walk in the truth, you give the Lord power over your life. A choice. Your choice. My choice. What creature? A heavenly creature or a hellish creature? Will your choices make of you? Bow with me. Father, we have looked at what You had to say. We have heard what You have had to say about what and who we are. And I pray that we would make choices that would bring us further and further into the light, Father. And we, when we step out of the light, I pray we would confess it. We would remember that salvation was designed to bring us into the light, the light of your truth, Father. It's in the light that we find you. In the darkness, we find nothing but emptiness. I pray we will seek you. Your goodness, your blessing. Your glory. And now, Father, may the Light of your presence and the grace of your goodness. And the joy of your Holy Spirit guide us as we go forth. Amen.